Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. And we are here today with our favorite type of guests, which is a former student of ours, of mine to be specific. Maya Donato is a amazing human being. And I thought of her because Meredith and I recorded an episode about transferring. And I remember Maya as a high school student going through her college process. I was not your college counselor, to be clear. I was not even in college counseling by the time Maya was going through the college process. But I was a senior class dean. You and I worked together on a bazillion things. And it is no surprise to me at all that Maya is thriving in Los Angeles now. She's graduated from her dream school at the time, which was USC. We're going to talk about her path to USC. Now she is an actor in LA. and working in talent management, and I was so pleased to hear she has her own little coaching business mentoring teenage girls. Is that right, Maya? Did I get all yeah, of that right? That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that you're doing all of those things. When I reached out to you, I remember reading in your bio that you said, and don't forget my mom was a therapist. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I totally remember your mother. She's yeah. amazing. She's a crazy woman. <laughs> She was she was a lot of fun and fun to talk to. I totally remember that. So I imagine that has inspired a little bit of your mentorship work with teens. Yeah, absolutely. I think the reason that I actually started it was because, funny enough, my mom definitely gave me the tools, the emotional tools to kind of know how to talk to people and navigate through conflict. That's really like her main thing is how do we navigate through conflict well but I actually decided to do this because I had a babysitter growing up. And when I got my period or when I like, you know, was in high school and wanted to like go to a party, that's who I would talk to about the things that were happening. If a guy was being shitty to me, I, I would talk to my babysitter. And it was such an invaluable relationship for me, like just to have somebody that was kind of close to my age that I could talk to that was cool, that I thought was cool, that like had a head on their shoulders and like could give me advice on things. And at the time in high school, I wasn't talking to my mom about things that were going on. And so she was really the person I went to for a lot of things. And so I was like, gosh, I want to do that for other people. You know, I really want to like be able to be there, but I don't want to be babysitting 10 families at a time. So I kind of put this idea out there, kind of like a big sister program kind of thing. Yeah. And now it's grown really rapidly to the point where I, I am like turning people down now, which is kind of sad, but yeah, it's really cool. It's like my passion project, you know, I, I just enjoy it. I love it. We are on the same career path, Maya. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? I mean, like you said, it's, I think it is so valuable for adolescents, young teens, preteens to be able to talk to somebody 
it's Who was such their a, parents? Yeah. And it's such a crazy time. Like I remember so clearly my mom at one point when I was in eighth grade, she like screamed at me and she was like, you just don't know. You're just hormonal and you're a teenager and you just have no idea what you're, what you want or what you're thinking right now or something along those lines. And I remember, I remember this moment, like it was yesterday. I remember saying to myself, if I have a kid, I will never say that to her because I know how I feel right now. And I feel so like certain about how I feel. And this is not hormonal. This is how I feel. And it's real. And I think that's like really a principle that I live by in my coaching. Like they'll tell me the most ridiculous things that are going on or like these crazy reactions that they're having and just making them be like, that's like such a real experience for you. And it's such an intense time to be living in. I mean, it's so political and like, same with me. I mean, this was only a few years ago, but like it's so, so political and it, there's, it's a huge pressure cooker. Like there's so much stress. Like I have a girl I'm coaching right now. She's 11 and she's talking to me about colleges and I'm like, you're 11. Like you don't even need to be thinking about this yet. You know? And it's like, everybody is. Everybody I know. Is. We I know. know. It's we know. So I know. Sad. It's so sad. Maya, I'm curious because I think that parents sometimes go through this weird unintentional amnesia where they forget it's been a minute since they were teenagers. And for you, it's been, you know, technically developmentally, you're sort of still an adolescent until your mid twenties. Right. So what do you think parents, you know, that I thought the point you made was so important, but what else about the teenager experience do you remember feeling like parents just didn't understand like your parents or other parents just didn't get? Yeah. I think that the one thing It's hard for me to say this. Honestly, a lot of my job has turned into like parent coaching, but like totally non-intentionally. Like I just have to kind of go back to the mom and like be like, oh, this isn't working. I think that one thing that's really hard to understand is, or the hardest line to walk is related to independence and letting your kids make mistakes. I think that is like the number one thing that I'm having to talk to parents about And it's such a beautiful impulse from parents. And I, of course, if I was a parent, I wouldn't want my kid to have any struggles or anything. And I would want to alleviate all of that. But like, you know, I have a girl that I work with and she kind of keeps getting into these same little troubles at school and it's this huge deal. And I totally get it. And all this kid wants to do, like when we actually sit down and talk about it, like she just wants her mom to like, let her not complete her homework assignment one time without bugging her. And I was kind of trying to tell her mom, just like, well, let her not do her homework. And then she can see how it feels. And I think that that's like a similar thing to everything, whether it's the college conversation or whether it's like just generally like grade conversation, homework conversation. I was really fortunate. I went to a middle school that didn't have grades. Like we didn't do grades. And so when I went to the high school that I went to, it was a huge shock to me. And my stress level like skyrocketed because I was like, oh my God, now there's this like number grade that's attached to everything. And my parents didn't care really, which I'm really grateful for in hindsight, because a lot of the kids I work with, that's, and most of the kids I know that wasn't their experience, but it let me learn like, gosh, it doesn't feel good to not get this paper in on time. Or I don't care about not getting this paper in on time. And that can be a decision that I make. And I think that that's, the number one thing you want when you're a teenager is to feel like an adult who can make their own decisions. And obviously you can't do that all the time, 
But I do think you learn the most that way. You don't learn when somebody is telling you what to do. You learn by failing and making the mistake and learning from that. And I think that the best thing a parent can do is let their kid fail and then be there when they need help. Because I do think kids will, you know, like let them fail. And then if they're like, oh gosh, your grades have really been going down or like you haven't gotten a good grade in that class in a month, like, do you need help? You know, what are our options for helping you? I think that's probably something that I wish parents understood more. Mm. I don't know if I Amen, sister. Natural consequences. We preach it all the time on this show. <laughs> constantly talk about that, right? And it's so great that you have the, and I always, I think that you've always been wise. I was just going to say that you have the wisdom to see that at su- such a young age, you're not a mom, <laughs> right? No. <laughs> no. And no. you're coaching these young kids and you kind of are seeing what we see all the time. Kids want agency. They want to have some sense of control over their lives, right? And then like when they're just following a path, it's like really hard to feel motivated around that, right? It's like, oh, why am I doing this? Because somebody's telling me to do it, right? And I think it's also hard to kind of trust in this. Like, I think there's a delicate balance of telling your kid, like, everything will work out. You're going to be fine. And also wanting them to learn how to work for what they want. And I think that's also really tricky. Like the number one thing as their peer counselor that I try to tell them because their parents are the ones that are often providing a lot of the stress as are themselves, like they are also putting pressure on themselves. But like, I'll be like, you're going to be fine, you know? And that's like my big thing, especially with colleges. Like I had such a messy kind of great, but like messy process with the college thing. And it worked out fine, you know, and it will work out fine. Everybody I know worked out fine, you know. I'm so glad you brought that up because we do want to talk about your past because I do remember you as a teenager very well. You were on speed dial on my phone. I was like, here's my Donato. She got something else to tell me today. <laughs> yeah. Kathy Jen, I have to tell I you was, this thing. I was activities coordinator at the time. So I had like 4 million inquiries for you every day. Right. You were super busy. You were super involved. You had this college process that you were very invested in. I remember it. and. I will just say, I don't know if I've ever, I'm, I'm sure I've told you this, but you know, you're absolutely one of my hands down favorite students of all time because, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, because that you were, because you were always so wise and you were always thoughtful and enthusiastic and real. Like I appreciated that about you too. And so talented. I, well, we should all just say Maya Donato is a very talented actor and singer extraordinaire. And anytime anybody needed something sung, they'd be like, can Maya do it? And I'm like, Maya's doing a million things. (laughs) (laughs) We have to ask Maya every time the national anthem needs to be sung at a game. Uh, Anyways. So anyways, I just want to put that out there that you were truly exceptional to me as a high school student. I wonder if you felt that way. And also like if you can recall what that college process was like for you. To your first question, thank you. I'm really flattered. That is really sweet. I think I get that no BS thing from my mom. And I'm so grateful for that. I was never one, but it was really hard for me, especially at that school. Like everybody is kind of a version of the same kid. And I did not feel like that kid at all. And as hard as I tried to be, I never was. And that isolated me a lot. Like I actually didn't have 
I was friends with everyone, but I didn't really have like close friends in high school, really. And so, I mean, I did kind of, but like, I don't really talk to anyone from high school except one guy, you know, Ari, but that's like the only person I still talk to. I it's regularly, at least like I, and all of the kids in my grade are still friends with each other. Like it was this really tight environment and I didn't fit into it. And I think because of my mom, she has always been the same way. She didn't fit in with any of the moms at my school. And I told, I kept begging her to try to like assimilate with the mom. <laughs> and, she, and I remember she'd be like, I won't do it. They don't get me. And that's fine. I'm just going to go do my, my mom's kind of like a hippie, you know, and we were in like a very kind of hot, like, you know, preppy neighborhood. And so she was like, I'm just like, not going to do that. I don't care. And I think that that was a great lesson for me, but I constantly was battling that. Like I was getting up on stage, you know, announcing the activities for activities coordinator, or I remember so clearly, I really wanted guys to like, think I was cute in high school. And then every role I got in every show we did, I was like the pregnant crackhead or like, (laughs) (laughs) deaf and blind person, you know? And I just like always had to have these like deranged appearances. And I was like, oh, why? But then, you know, they'd invite the whole football team and basketball team to our performances. And I had to just own it and be like, well, do I care more about giving a good performance and like doing the thing that I love or impressing these guys that probably won't even look at me, you know? (laughs) And I leaned more in that direction, but it was really hard. And I think I sacrificed a lot of relationships and ultimately in my life, I think it paid out like super well, but yeah, it was hard for me. But with college, I think it was also a sort of pathless traveled situation as well, kind of in the same way as that, which was, I was also doing the acting application process. And for any parents that are listening, if your kid is trying to go to college for an art, whatever art that may be, you probably are already knowing that it's like a super complicated process. I mean, for acting, there are like auditions and you go to a hotel and you go room to room to room and you're doing every college, you know, that you want to apply for in a day, doing the same monologues over and over again. And you're in these waiting rooms with like 300 other students. And then you go meet 300 more students and it's super overwhelming. People are flying and driving from all over the place. I mean, it's really like a really crazy process. And I knew what I wanted. And as you said, Kathy, I wanted to go to USC uh, because I wanted to be in LA and I wanted to get into their BFA program, which for context, like I'm pretty sure they have like 200,000 applicants to the BFA program and they take 10 kids. It's like, maybe it's even more than that. It's probably more than that, but like 10 kids, like it's nothing really like barely can do it. And, but I was like, I can do it. And I like really tried. I like went to the summer programs and whatever. And I really felt like I had connections to so many people and whatever. And I was working it. And then I did my college auditions. I got into, I had the most scattered, and this is probably experience for so many people, the most scattered admissions. Like I didn't get into like Chapman, but I did get into LMU. I got into Carnegie Mellon. I got into SMU and I got a callback for Juilliard. Like I got to the last round of the Juilliard process, but then I didn't get into USC. I mean, I was like, am I good or am I not? Or like, where am I on this spectrum? Like, how can I get into Carnegie Mellon, but not Chapman? Like, I don't understand, you know, and it was very confusing for me. But what I did know was the life that I wanted. I wanted to act. 
later on, I sort of came to the conclusion that I didn't know if I wanted to be in a BFA program because you're stuck with 10 kids for your whole college experience. And I wanted, I knew at that point, which I'm very grateful for my theater director in high school, like I knew that acting was about life and about taking somebody else's experiences and being able to step into them and empathize with them and translate that. And you need experiences to do that. So being cooped up with 10 kids all the time, I was like, that's kind of limiting my life experience, which is what I'm using to create these performances. So I kind of decided I didn't want a BFA program. I actually learned that when I decided to drop out of the pool for Juilliard because I saw my schedule and I was like, this is insane. I can't be with, you know, 10 kids every day from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. and then go rehearse with them. Like, I'm just, I can't do it. So the only school that I got into in LA was LMU. And that was a backup school that I like barely toured. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to apply again to USC. So I took a gap year and I decided I just wanted to act for the year. And that was a really hard year for me. I totally, with every ounce of my being, if you think your kid might benefit from a a gap year, you know, they should do it because I think it can be so beneficial to just gain some life experience and whatever it is, you know, I moved to LA and I just was acting and I started working for Peter Bogdanovich, who's a big director and got that randomly and was working at a restaurant and was taking acting classes. And it was such a valuable year for me. And then I applied to USC again for the second time, didn't get in again. Then I went to LMU for a year, had the best year, met all of the friends that I'm still friends with. I'm so grateful, such an amazing school, but I did want a different kind of acting program and something that was a little bit more suited to what I wanted to achieve as an actor. So I applied to USC for the third and final time. Resilience. I love it. Resilience. (laughs) And I got in and I went. And funny enough, I went and I had a great time. But I thought often, do I regret leaving LMU? And I do not regret my education at USC. It was phenomenal. But it's a big school and it's a different game and it's hard and it's big and it's overwhelming. And I also, you know, went there during kind of COVID era. So that was also challenging. And it's in an area that's like not as walkable as the LMU area. And it was definitely difficult. I had a great educational experience, but the people that I'm still the closest with, the people that I'm collaborating with on projects, they're all LMU people. And I am so grateful that I ended up going there for a year. And it was a really important part of my education And I think that that's really my bottom line that I share to any of my students that I'm peer counseling or whatever it is. Like, if you want to go to a community college for a year, which I did, you know, in between on my gap year, I took some classes, like, and I had a great experience and I knocked out some credits and then I had more in my belt when I was trying to transfer. Or if you don't get into your dream school, go to that little school that kind of sounded interesting to you or just happens to be in an area that you want to be in. And you'll probably love it, or maybe you will want something else, and then you can transfer. The transfer rate is infinitely higher than like the what is it called? The normal admission rate? Undergraduate, yeah. Undergraduate admit rate from high school. Yeah. It will work out and there's a lot of options. And I know people that transferred way later in their college process and still had a good time, even if they transferred just for their junior or senior year, you know. So 
I think there's just many ways to do it. And that's not a message that we get in high school. Yes. All the yeses. You know, I used to plan all the assemblies, as you know, back in the day. Because they always wanted to bring alums who were like very illustrious in their careers and who had like the guy who invented GoPro, you know, as a Menlo alum, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, can't we just bring somebody who's like had a hard time? (laughs) Can we bring some alums who really struggled and stumbled their way into a career that they love? Right. And they were always like, why would anybody want to hear that? (laughs) And I was like, I wish. I know. I often think about like, I wish I could go back and talk to school that I went to because I want to share so much of my experience and I think it's so valuable. And like even the kids that I know, like all the kids that I know that went to really good schools, they had a great time. But like they're not like ahead of me right now. Like we're in the same boat. Like we are having, we are on the same level of jobs. Like it's like the same. So really, and I know that there can be small differences that it makes in terms of like, I don't know, maybe getting your application seen or something for a job or whatever, but it will work out. And it did. And I am not any less successful than the people that I know that went to Harvard and Yale and Stanford. It's so interesting to me that I feel like this happened a lot because I was a dean of students as well. And then, you know, prior to that, a college counselor. And I remember all these meetings sitting down with like the PA and they would want to like have all of these talks for other parents. And invariably, the people that they wanted to bring in were like very prominent authors, experts in, you know, development. And that's who they thought their kid needed to hear from the most. And how like adults just don't normalize failure. And there's no adult on this planet that hasn't like, you know, messed a thing up at some point in their life. You have to, right? Oh, and if you're not, if you're like your whole life is oriented around being perfect and you got some other problems we should probably talk about. But I'm curious, like you mentioned a couple of things that I thought were really important that Kathy and I ended up talking a lot with students. One is when you attend a school where you just don't quite feel like you belong and you like maybe intellectually recognize it's a great school or it offers you really cool and interesting opportunities, but socially it's like a little challenging And maybe a school, you know, we work with a lot of students who go to schools where I would say the pressure meter reads high. What advice would you give to students who maybe are experiencing that? And how would you advise parents? I think this might not be the best advice. I have different advice for all this. So if you're struggling socially, if you get to a college and I'd say, actually, that's probably the more common experience that I've heard from my friends and family. Like my classes are fine, but I just don't really know where my people are. One thing I will say is that sometimes it's a time game. And I think sometimes you expect to go to college and you'll meet people in your dorm and you'll love them so much and you'll go out and you'll, you know, maybe join a sorority or a club and you'll just find your people and it will be amazing. And it takes time. Like sometimes you really do have that experience. And fortunately, my freshman year roommate at LMU, I've been living with for the last three years and she's still my best friend and I got really lucky. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And I think the expectation that you have of what college will be like when you get there and that's your experience, it's just so deeply disappointing And it takes a second to readjust to that and bounce back, I think. My sister actually kind of had that experience. And I also think, so sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's a question of how much are you really putting yourself out there? 
Like, are you actively seeking out clubs to join or people to see? Like, for example, my brother is not someone to do that. And he kind of had a few friends. And then he was like, you know what? I'm going to go join the Frisbee golf club and the surf club. Didn't do any of those things. Ended up meeting a bunch of friends. So I think that's also another way or another thing to think about is, am I really applying myself or just trying things, getting myself in situations where I can meet new people? That could be it. Or it could really not be a fit for you. And sometimes you have to really trust your gut. And I think that can be just a lot of people I know are like, I just don't like being in this small section of Oregon, or, you know, I really don't like how isolated my school is, you know, and you can trust your gut on those sorts of things. I'd say the most important advice I have for anybody who's thinking about transferring is like, if you set your expectations that, well, USC is going to solve all my problems, that's where you get into even more trouble. If I just transfer, then my social life will be figured out. That's not this situation either. It's going to be just as hard. And maybe you'll get lucky and meet some friends there. But like, it's just life, you know, like you can't put so much on these things. And I did get a lot of out of UFC that I loved, but I didn't get everything. Am I happy I transferred? Yeah, I am. Ultimately, for my intellectual educational experience, I am happy that I transferred. But I had a lot of regrets leaving. And I think that's a common experience I talk to with some people that transfer as well. So that's so simple. No, it's not simple. No. But I do think that there's an element of giving yourself time. Because I think a lot of kids that I've talked to, they'll get to college and three months in, they'll be like, I think I want to transfer. I'm like, we've only given it three months. Like you don't even know what's out there. Colleges have so much going on, you know? So I don't know. I think it could be a time thing or it could really just be a gut thing and that's okay, you know? When you think about your Menlo experience, for context sake, I always knew you as a really popular person. Like everybody knew who you were, right? Like everybody knew Maya, like, cause you were up on in front of making all school assemblies, making announcements, you were in shows. So people knew you so popular in that sense. And I had an inkling about this kind of what I'm sensing, like some loneliness that you were feeling. I don't know if you ever like expressed it to me explicitly, but I had a feeling about that. And I'm curious to know, like, what was teenage Maya thinking at that time? And how did you move past? Like, how did you stay for four years with that feeling? One and most important that I talk to a lot of my kids about, or the kids that I peer counsel about, is I had friends from other schools. And that really was important to me. I kind of got lucky in like meeting people through friends of friends. I met one girl kind of through Instagram and we connected, but that was so important to me to be able to escape that community and go to all the friends that I had at different schools. Like, and I also, you know, I didn't go to middle school there. So I had my friends from middle school that were also in high schools and I kind of worked to continue to see them. And that made my world bigger. So I had different places to go to and different people that I could talk to, which was really huge for me. I wasn't isolated to my specific high school social ecosystem. And if I had, that would have been really hard for me. That would have been really, really hard. And I think my sister actually had similar issues and, you know, she played water polo and she was on a club team outside of school. And a lot of her friends came from that. So I think that if you're feeling that way, it might be interesting to try to either like join a 
team or something outside of your school circle or try if you know somebody from middle school or something that you haven't talked to in a while try to branch out into a different ecosystem cuz that can be really helpful and for me it also provided me with like totally different perspectives on high school and college and all of these other things that ended up being super valuable to me also but it was hard for me day to day i had people that i obviously knew and liked but i had a really hard time you know and ultimately funny that we're here now but my teachers were really important to my social life actually i mean like miss stubbs or miss newton now like she was a huge friend to me miss ramsey miss buxton you know i started the beekeeping club with our biology teacher and she like became a really close friend of mine and that's what i would spend all of my lunches doing and then people thought it was cool and they joined and i got a really good friendship out of that with dia and like my teachers were really important to me Miss Plamondon, Francis Farrell. Like, if you think about who I was spending my time with in high school, it was pretty much all my teachers. <laughs> like, it's, not- it's true. I You were in my office a lot. I remember it. Every, yeah, <laughs> all the time. All the time. And also the people that were working at the cafeteria, I spent a lot of time with them too. I, I went to a bunch of their weddings. <laughs> I was like really close to the people working in the cafeteria. Those are the people I liked the adults around. You really did. You were kind of like a little adult. Like you were kind of above the high school thing in some way. You know what I mean? Like you did. You were, you were, and the adults similarly loved you back, right? People love Maya. And yeah, it was very cool to be able to have that. I love that. I think it's a great reminder for educators, people who work in schools who are around young people, our relationships, you know, you can't underestimate the power of them. You think that you think that you're just teaching English or you're just doing this, but actually in a lot of ways you're you're providing a safe place where kids feel like they can be themselves and share what's going on in their lives. Those are the relationships like yeah, I remember one time I went into one of my teacher's offices at lunch and we started having a conversation about spirituality. And that was the first time I'd ever really thought about that in that way. And she was kind of talking to me about how like, personally, she feels like we're all connected energetically. And like, that's kind of why, you know, women's cycles can sync up with the moon and started talking to me and she didn't push it on me. She was sort of just talking to me about her thoughts about it. And that was like, what really got me interested in sort of, you know, acts of like forgiveness and spirituality, which ended up being really helpful for me. That came out of one lunchtime conversation that ended up like, catapulting me into a world of like, you know, learning about self-love and forgiveness and meditation. And that was probably my biggest struggle in high school was really self-acceptance and self-love. And I think that pretty much if I could give any advice to my high school self, it really would have been related to self-love practices, which I think there's no class that is teaching you how to love yourself and how to accept yourself And pretty much all of the messaging around you is the opposite. It's telling you not to like yourself, that you should be working harder, that you should be doing more, that you should be, you know, achieving a hundred more things, which is shame. You know, it's a tool for self-shaming, which that's the environment that we're living in. And then you have Instagram and then you have all these other places that are telling you that you're not good enough. So it's just a giant environment of self-shaming and not being good enough. And that really got to me. My biggest regrets in high school, if I think back to the things that I actually regretted, all came from something I was doing to self-sabotage or because I didn't like myself. And I really didn't like myself, to be honest. And I 
think a lot of high schoolers feel that way. Every single one of my clients feels that way, you know, and it's, and it breaks my heart. It's going to make me cry. Like that's the reason I got into this business, honestly, in the first place is because if I can try to help these girls learn to love themselves, then like I've done one good thing in the world, but it's not the norm. It's not a conversation that's happening at all, really. And I think it's a huge issue, especially for women, but men too. And I don't know what the answer is to put those practices or things like affirmations or journaling or whatever it is into a teenager's daily life. I think that's really hard. But one thing my mom did is every night we would have dinner together and she'd ask me, what is something that you're grateful for today? And what is your best and worst? Or three gratefuls. What are three things you're grateful for and your best and worst? And every day that ended my night with the practice of gratitude unknowingly and finding something good that happened to me that day, you know, something positive. And I could also be crabby and be like, and this was the worst. I couldn't cop out. And I think that was also really important. I think parents can do that. They can cultivate gratitude with their kids. Be like, now we're just going to start saying three things we're grateful for every dinner. And sometimes the girls in my peer counseling will be like, I'm grateful that my sister got grounded today. You know, and I'm like, no, totally. I'm grateful that math class got canceled. <laughs> yes. yes. And it's like no negatives, you know, no negatives. What's something you're really grateful for? And I don't think kids are programmed to think about that a lot. But really, if I could end this on like a note, it would be like, if you can find a way to help your kid, and I don't know the answer, or if you're in high school, like the best thing you can do for yourself, the thing that will bring you the most success and the most happiness, which is what you want, is to really cultivate your relationship with yourself and like how you talk to yourself in your head. And it's a really hard battle that I know all three of us on this call right now probably still face every day, you know? It's hard. Literally, that was my entire day with Kathy on Saturday. <laughs> when we were in Half Moon Bay walking around. Oh my gosh, Kathy, how lucky are you? Maya's amazing. I am. Maya. I feel like I'm talking to like a Kristen Neff or Brene Brown protege. It's amazing. I love the work that you're doing. And actually, I was going to ask you, but you kind of answered the question I had in my head, which was, One of the things that frustrates me in our society is when there are actual conversations about self-acceptance and self-love, they're kind of these declarative statements that I think a lot of teenagers don't know how, and adults, frankly, don't know how to operationalize in action steps. But I love that you talked about some really specific things. I heard you say meditation. I heard you say journaling. I heard you say um, affirmations. I heard you say gratitude practice. Is there anything else you want to add into that? Mixed. There's this great tweet by SZA where she says, I just cut myself off in the middle of negative thoughts. Like, bitch, we don't have time for this. Come back. I think that is all you really need to know about self-love practices. The whole thing is, and it's simple. It's not like, I was actually just talking to my roommates about this last night. Like there's this thing with the practice of like wellness and self-love that's like, you have to meditate every day or journal every day. And like, those things are great. They are. But I can't do that. And I probably will not do that. And that's okay. But what I can do is I can notice when my brain is saying, stupid mile, but that was so freaking dumb. Why the hell would you do that? And I can say, you know what? It's okay. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. You did good, Maya. I forgive you. I love you. Let's move forward. That's like all that it is. It's cutting yourself off. So I think that that is the simplest version of it. 
And I think also like when you're talking to other people, sometimes they'll be like, oh my gosh, don't say that about yourself. And you'll be like, no, but it's like, no, listen to them. Like talk to yourself in the way that they're talking to you. You know, that's the practice. That's all it is really. It's like quite simple. It's really just cutting your thoughts off, your negative thoughts off and replacing them and being aware. Yep. Noticing noticing the thought and being curious about it. We talk to kids about that all the time. Notice the thought and just without judgment, be like, hmm, I wonder what that's about. Interesting. (laughs) Why is it saying that? Yeah. What am I doing? Why do I think that way? Is that helpful? Would I I talk to my best friend that way? Right. Right. And I I went to a school that uh, in middle school that we had a social emotional learning class. And so I actually was geared with a good amount of this. In middle school, I was super happy because of it. And then when I got to high school, it kind of dropped off. I got put into this different environment. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of good people running SEL programs that probably know a lot more about how to help kids with this than I do. But I would say I have a few other fun little things that have helped me a lot. The first, Korean spas. My, <laughs> I love yes, Korean girl, spa. Love Do you go to Wee Spa? Wee Spa is the up. best. I go to Wee Spa. I think that I don't know if there's one in the Bay Area, but there isn't, has, girl. There isn't. Oh, <laughs> that has been one of the most transformative places for my own body self love journey ever. Because I go in there and there's old. With older Korean women gra- that are probably in their Korean 80s. grandmas, yeah, yeah, with their with their titties down to their knees and their stomach, <laughs> you know, and like, and they're just rocking it, and they're beautiful. It's like that scene from the Barbie movie where she sees the woman on the bench and is like, "You're so beautiful," and she's like, "I know it." Like that's what it is. It's like you see all these women, and you just realize, like, oh, there isn't a body type, you know, a body type, and so that's been really great. Green spots, like awesome. I think there's a lot of great books you can read. I actually think the Emily Rojakowski book is pretty amazing. And I think Brene Brown has a lot about fear, failure, and shame that I learned from. But if you're not a big reader, like I was not in high school, then, you know, I think there's also a lot of TV shows and podcasts and stuff that talk about this all the time. And I think if you seek it out, you'll find it, you know? This conversation is amazing. And I would just like to tell you, because the Korean spa thing, I knew we were soul sisters, Maya, but truly, I was like, okay, the Korean spa, literally, this happened on Saturday. Meredith came to my house, and I did not have pants on when I answered the door. (laughs) I'm going to share this with our audience. She came in. I was like, I didn't have my pants on yet. And I opened the door. And she was like, hello. (laughs) Why don't you have pants on? And I was like, first time I've seen Kathy answer a door without pants on, but- I was like not expecting it. (laughs) You wasn't expecting me to answer the, and I literally was like, yeah, you know, it's like the Asian way. We just, it's fine. Clothes, whatever. At the Korean, and I referenced the Korean spa. I was like, at the Korean spa, the Korean lady, you know, we just let it all hang out. It's no problem. Your legs up on a chair, you're scrubbing it down there just (laughs) for all to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever. It's a body, right? Whatever. It's not a big deal. Right. Look, if you want, I don't, I don't mind. (laughs) And that's, I really think I've internalized that from all my Korean spying in my life. Korean spying is really, basically what the conclusion of all of this is, is just go to a Korean spa. <laughs> like, amazing. you know what? Forget everything I said. Just go to a Korean spa and you'll figure it all out. You'll just get all the answers. Right? All of, life's an- all of life's answers are in the Korean spa. And what a great That's what cultural- you should title this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Korean spa will solve all your problems. Solve all your problems at a Korean spa. But what a great cultural way to celebrate wellness, 
right? Because the whole family goes to the Jinjibang. Like everybody comes, we spend the whole day there, and all we're doing is relaxing and taking care of ourselves. <gasps> I know, I love that. Anyways, Maya, this has been amazing. And we've run out of time with you, but I just like had a light bulb moment where we were thinking about like, we need to get more guests on the show this year. And your face literally popped up in my Facebook feed because I'm an old person. I look at Facebook and I was like, oh my God, Maya would be perfect for the show. And at the time, little did I know how perfect you would actually be for the show. <laughs> You're doing well, I really amazing appreciate stuff. You reaching out. This is exciting. And it's like something I think about all the time. There are so many things I wrote down to talk to you guys about, like procrastination in teenagers. And oh, like, Lord, girl. We'll have you oh back. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and like, Making friends in high school. And like, I have so many things I want to talk about because I am really passionate about this. You're just going to be a return guest bring on our back show. Back. Yeah, bring you're back. back. Coming back. Hell yeah, we'll bring you back. It. Oh my That's gosh, awesome. so good, Maya. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you guys. It was thank really you. a pleasure. Thank you for your time. I'm so proud of you. And you are an amazing light in this world. And thank you for shining your light on others. That's well, so important. Not. I would not be the person that I am without your influence. So I'm eternally grateful for you, Kathy. You made me who I am. Oh, you're so sweet. I love it. Teachers are important. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next time with another episode.